welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. If you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28 this morning. Go ahead and turn there. I'm not real sure. I actually considered this this morning. I thought, you know what we should probably do? We should probably skip the preaching. We should all come up to the front of the church, bow down, and pray for rain. Does anybody want to do that? Yeah, some of you are like, yes, we need it. Like, I got up this morning, it was cloudy, and I looked outside, and I was like, oh, it's going to rain. And then immediately, it was like, oh, it's going to rain. It's going to be awesome, and it hasn't yet. So if you're not living right, you need to get right with God this morning, because we need some rain. Uh, my water bill is going to be about $480 from all the watering I've been doing, and that's one of y'all's fault. I don't know whose it is for not living right yours. I saw you. You made the face. You made the face. Uh, this morning, I want to ask a question. We're starting a new series called Make Disciples. And, and I wanted to go ahead and answer. I wanted to ask the question, why do we exist? Like, why do we come here to this building? And the answer may surprise many of us. Like, like the reason we come here is not for you to get your weekly dose of Jesus. I hate to tell you, we are not here for you this morning. You are not here for you this morning. I'm not here for me this morning. We come here because we worship somebody greater than us. And we come here to worship him in every way. We worship him in song. We worship him in study. We worship him in surrender. But mostly, as we come together as a church, we worship him in mission and calling. That God has given us something to do. And, you know, once you come to church and, and you hear about Christ and you're saved, you, you truly experience God and you know who he is. It changes, changes you. It changes you and me. We, we get to come to this point where we start to not just know that Jesus died for us. We get to, we get to know Jesus. And we get to come into contact with his grace and his love and his mercy and there's something interesting about being a Christian that I've learned is the more I come to know Jesus, the more I get, pardon the word, the more I get addicted to Jesus. Like I'm like, oh, oh God, that was good. I've never, I've never got that from you before. Maybe, maybe I need to give you a little bit more. And we grow in him and we learn more about him. And because we experience him in this way, eventually we get to a point where there's this inner drive and this inner push. Like, I want to experience you, God, more and more and more and more. And we get to a point in those experiences where we come to God and say, I want everybody else to experience what I've experienced with you, God. God, I want to serve you because of what you've done for me and what I know of you. And that's exactly what we've been called here to do today. Is not to come here and follow a bunch of rules because there's a book that says do these good things and maybe you'll go to heaven. We come here to honor God, to worship him, to love him, and then to say, God, out of our love, I want to give back to you. You guys remember what it's like to be in love? Maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's a kid. You know, all of a sudden you just, you just want to do something to give back. You, you want to love in a way that is actionable. And as Christians, that's what we're called to do. That's what we should do. We should have such a passion for Christ that it turns into action from us. And Jesus expects this from his church that we come together and we honor him in that way, that, that we love him in that way, that there is action that comes from. And I want to read to you my, what has become my favorite passage in the entire Bible with relating to church. This is verse 18 of Matthew chapter 28. You guys know this. You can probably say it with me. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, 
All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all the things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You've heard that if you've been here more than one week because we say it at the end of every service. This is what we call the Great Commission. And the reason we repeat this every single week is because this is why we exist, to accomplish this mission. We don't exist to just show up on Sunday morning. We exist to be a group of people who are on a mission to be disciples who make disciples. And I love the way that Jesus lays this out for us. He, he lays out this pattern of why would we want to do this? Like, okay, why would, I, why would I spend my time going out into the world, teaching people about Jesus, seeing them baptized, and, and then teaching them from the Bible? Why would I waste my time doing that? And Jesus begins this instruction. <coughs> excuse me. Jesus begins this instruction by saying, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. That word power there is often translated authority. And I love what Jesus is doing in this moment. Jesus is about to give us as his followers the commission, the mission, the thing that we're supposed to do. And he starts to frame it like this. He goes, hey, just take a second, back off of everything you've been learning and look at me. Look at me as, as, as God. Look at what I've done for you on the cross. I am the rightful king. I have purchased the right to rule this world because I purchased each and every individual on a cross. He gets to rule. He says, look at me. I've got the power. I have the authority. Let me ask us a question, me and you. How would we handle that kind of authority? If somebody came up to us and been like, hey, um, you know, this whole America project hasn't been going real well. The presidents don't ever do what they're supposed to do. We've decided that we just want to put one person in charge and it's you. You can do whatever you want to. You have the power and you have the authority. Now, everybody in here starts off going, I do good things. But, but history tells us the opposite is most people put in that position, they do things that serve themselves mostly. And I'll be honest with you, I think I can look into my heart and say, even if I tried to do the best I could, eventually there would be some things in the way that I ruled that it would eventually be back to what my heart's desire were. Like it, it might be that I wanted more power. It might be that I, I wanted more money. It might be that I wanted people to listen to me no matter what. And, and I would start to rule that way. And in a weird way, but in a positive way, Jesus is the same, th same way. Jesus has all of this power. He has all of this authority. And he says, in light of that, we are going to pursue what my heart desires most. But yet, what does God's heart desire most out of everything? It's you. His uttermost heart's desire is you and me. It's people. And so Jesus phrases it this way in the Great Commission. In light of the fact that I have gone to the cross, I have purchased the kingdom, I have the unlimited right to rule, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pursue people. We're not, we're not going to pursue anything else. We're going to pursue people and we're going to make them disciples. We're going to make them followers. And he gives us two steps. He says, first you baptize them. And if you study much on the doctrine of baptism, baptism is what happens after you lead somebody to Christ. So you go find an individual, you introduce them to Jesus Christ. They make a decision to follow him, baptize them. That's evangelism. He says, go out and share the gospel. Bring people to me. And then secondly, secondly, he goes forward and he says, teach them, <clears throat> teach them everything that I have taught you. 
So Jesus gives us this mission as a church, this mission as followers and believers. Go out, grab people, introduce them to Jesus, bring them into your family, bring them into your local church, and then begin to train them in what it means to be a follower of Christ. And I love the, the way that Jesus puts this. That everything in here is all. If you, if you read the Great Commission, all, all, all. I have all the authority. Go to all the nations. Teach them all of the things I have commanded you. And, and so the command for us as a church is to, be, um, is to be married to this idea that our job is to see people come to Christ and then to be a church that trains and disciples them in how to follow him. If you're taking notes on your outline there, our first take-home truth is this, is that Jesus asserts his power to bring people to himself. And at the end of the day, making disciples, all, all that is, is bringing people to Christ and bringing them closer to Christ. And as followers of Jesus, if we are ourselves disciples, if we are ourselves followers of Christ, this is our mission. Because what it means to be a disciple is someone who lives by the teachings of their master and someone who spreads the teachings of their master. So if I'm a follower of Christ, if I'm a disciple, I don't even have to say I need to be a disciple who makes disciples. It's self-evident in that statement that my job is to follow Christ and to teach others to follow Christ. And not just my job, but your job and our job collectively and our job individually. And what this means is action. It's a hard thing for us to do when we come to church and we start talking about making disciples because what it requires is it requires us to be active in this mission. It's just like anything else in life. Anybody who's been married will tell you a good marriage does not just happen. You just get married and try to live the life your you try to get married and try to live your life the way that you were before you're married. It's not gonna work. It takes effort to be a good husband or to be a good wife. It's like raising kids. You don't just have kids and lay them off to the side and one day they grow, grow up a fully functional adult. It takes a lot of effort to put into our children. And it's the same thing with making disciples. This does not just happen for a church or for us. It takes work, which means that we as a church have to pursue the mission. And there's a difference in, I think, a lot of times what pursuing the mission looks like to us. For a lot of people, pursuing the mission means knowing the mission. Like, as long as we teach our people, like, oh, you know, you're, you're probably supposed to witness a little bit. Uh, we teach our people it's important to be in church and support people to come to church with you. It's important for you to work. Like, like, that's the mission, and we know the mission, and so we're pursuing the mission. But the truth is, that when I say the word pursue, what I mean is we, we are supposed to chase this mission. It requires us to focus, and it may even require us to change what we're doing if we're not catching the mission. And the hardest thing here is sometimes it requires us to ask, what more can we do? And in this series, Make Disciples, I'm asking us as a church, and I hope I'm going to provide some answers, is what more can Ramsey Heights do to make disciples? What are we good at? What are we bad at? What do we need to grow in? What do we have to change to accomplish this mission? Because as followers of Christ and as a church, this is the most important thing to us. On your notes, the next... the um, Next take home truth is followers of Christ pursue his mission. And you may be wondering, where is this coming from this morning? Like this is this sermon series that we're going into for, into for the next four weeks has been in the works for about six months. I want to introduce to you a plan that we are putting together to be a church that is better at making disciples, both of making disciples out of ourselves and, and grabbing other individuals and saying, let me help you grow in Christ. And let me tell you why, that, why that's coming up right now. 
Some of you may know this if you've been here for very long. Each year we pick a theme. Something that we're trying to grow in, something that we want to be better in. And, and this year, our theme is community. I don't preach it every single Sunday, but it's, it's a theme that just comes back again and again and again in what we're trying to do and how we're trying to grow. And at the beginning of this year, you guys may remember it on the very first Sunday, it might have been the second Sunday, first, second, first, we'll say first. You don't know, I don't either. First or second Sunday, I preached on community. And I said, Here, here's the thing, you do not need attendance at church. You need connection. And in your bulletin that Sunday, after I preached on that and I talked about why God designed us as Christians to need community, I put a little piece of, purple piece of paper in there and it gave you an opportunity to just fill it out and drop it in the offering plate. And it said, I want to know more about maybe membership. I want to know more about becoming a follower of Christ. I want to know more about finding a class that fits me. I want to know more about finding a place for me to serve. And I dropped that in there and I was so excited. And I looked at the offering plate. There's little purple pieces of paper filled out in that offering plate. I was like, yes, it worked. People are doing it. We're, we're going to grow in community. And I kept getting these little pieces of paper from people that said, I, I want a place to serve. I want a place to serve. I want a place to serve. I want a place to grow in service. It's like, that's wonderful. We've got people who want to serve here. We've got people who want to grow in service. But I started to look at all the names. I started to look at, okay, what can we get you to do to serve? And I, I realized something. We as a church have no place for you to serve. Unless you want to clean the church or if you want to teach a class, which not, is not everybody's gift, we're not providing opportunities for you to grow in service. And by the way, if you filled out that purple piece of paper, I come to you and I told you I've got to work on some things. I have not forgotten you. I still have not forgotten you. But this told me there's a problem in our church. When people identify to the church, I want to grow in service. I want to grow in community. And I have to go back to them and say, I don't know where to put you. I don't know where you can serve. I don't know what can help you. And it showed me and it showed us we've got to do better at structuring our church in a way that we can take this great commission seriously, growing people in community from whether that's from getting into groups or into service. So in taking the great commission seriously, we took a step back and we said, what are we as a church going to do to make sure that we are making disciples? Because make is an action word. It doesn't say open a church and let disciples start to pop up. What Jesus said is take your church, take you as individuals, go make disciples. The word make means that we have intent, we have action, and we have completion. Like if I told my wife today, I'm going to make supper, and that's all I did. Would she be happy with me when it came six o'clock and she's like, hey, I thought you were cooking tonight. I was like, well, I had intention to do it. I meant to do it. I thought good thoughts about it, but I didn't do it. No, if I'm going to make supper, I have to have the intent. I have to get up off of the couch. I have to go to the grill or the oven and turn it on. And I have to stay there until supper is complete. And only then have I made disciples. And it is the same for us as a church. We have to have intent, but we also have to have, we also have, <clears throat> have, to have action and completion if we're going to make disciples. And what I found is that I think Ramsey Heights has great intent to make disciples. I know your hearts. I know the people of this church. I know the heart of this church. This is a church that loves people. This is a church that wants to see people come to Christ. This is a church that wants to see people grow in Christ. We have great intent. But when it comes to action and completion, I think we have some room to grow there. 
And I think it's very important that we go ahead and admit that and we make plans to grow in that because what the Bible says is it is not their responsibility to figure out how to be a disciple. It's mine and your responsibility here at Ramsey Heights to walk up along some somebody when they, or beside somebody when they walk in the door and say, I'm glad you're here. I, I want you to grow. I, I want you to learn. I want you to experience Christ the way that I have. Let me help you on that next step in being a disciple. And after that, I will help you on the d- next step after that. The next take-home truth is this. Followers of Christ take the responsibility to make disciples. See, what we do is we pull people into community where they, can low, where they can learn and grow and serve. And so what we've done as a church, I've sat down with the deacons and a couple other individuals involved in Sunday school, and we've decided to build a structure that is going to be our plan. It may not be perfect, but it will be our plan on how are we going to make disciples. How are we going to take responsibility for every person that walks in this church saying we are doing everything physically possible to grow them in Christ? What's our plan to do that? And we had to ask the questions of, of what are we doing well? What can we do better? We also had to ask the question of what must change to accomplish that? And I just want to acknowledge, like, as I'm talking about this, I keep saying words like new and change. I want to acknowledge for some of you, those words are scary. Like, oh no, what's Brian preaching on now? What does this mean? Is my church going to change? I don't think that you're going to see a lot of change in church. It's not going to be a drastically new church. But even, even with me saying that, I know that sometimes it can still be uncomfortable to try new things, to say we're going to focus on new things, we're going to put effort into new things that may require us to change or do something different or do something that I don't like to do. And I was thinking of that this week because I, I know that in my heart, I know that God is calling us to make disciples. I also know that in a church, it is so hard sometimes to try that new thing. And I was reminded of a story of uh, Corey Ten Boom. I've shared with you about her a lot. Corey Ten Boom is famous for her book, The Hiding Place, uh, that tells the story of her and her family during World War II. Corey and her family would hide Jews in a special place in their apartment. And eventually their entire family got arrested and almost all of them died in concentration camps, except for Corey Ten Boom, who was released and has spent her life or did spend her life after that serving God. Now, a lot of people know the story of the hiding place. They know how she served God, how God sustained her through a Nazi concentration camp. But a lot, what a lot of people don't know is that Corey Ten Boom spent the rest of her life up into her 80s traveling the world, sharing her story, sharing the promise of Christ in them. She records that in this book. This is another one written by her. It's called Tramp for the Lord. And I was reading this book a while back, and, and this story just kind of stuck with me and as I was thinking about, man, what does it mean to make disciples? What does it mean to try something new? What does it mean to do the hard things in taking the Great Commission seriously? I went back and I found this story. The title of this chapter is, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, but not up 10 flights of stairs. I want to read you just a little bit. I know this is not reading time at the library. I want to read you just a little bit of her story. And I want to tell you something about making disciples I learned from Corey Ten Boom. Listen to what she said. I had spoken that Sunday morning in a church in Copenhagen, Denmark, urging the people to present their bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord. I had said, even though I was an old woman, that I wanted to give myself completely to Jesus and do whatever he wanted me to do, go wherever he wanted me to go, even if it meant dying. After the church time, two young nurses approached me and invited me to their apartment to have a cup of coffee. I was very tired. 
At almost 80 years of age, I found that standing on my feet for long periods of time was beginning to be exhausting. The cup of coffee sounded good, so I accepted their invitation. But I was not prepared for the walk to their apartment. Many of the houses in Copenhagen are old, high houses with no elevators. The nurses lived on the 10th floor of such a house, and we had to walk up the steps. Oh, Lord, I complained as I looked at the high building. I don't think I can make it. But the nurse, nurses wanted me to come up so badly that I consented to try. By the time we reached the fifth floor, my heart was pounding wildly, and my legs were so tired, I thought they could not take another step. In the corridor of the fifth floor, I saw a chair and pleaded with the Lord, Lord, let me stay here a time while the nurses go on up the stairs. My heart is so unhappy. The nurses waited patiently as I collapsed in the chair, resting. Why, O oh Lord, must I have the stair climbing after this busy day of speaking? Then I heard God's voice even louder than my pounding heart. Because a great blessing is waiting on you, a work which will give joy to the angels. I won't read you the whole chapter, because I know it's boring to watch me read a book. But Corey Ten Boom went those extra five flights of stairs, and she found when she got to that, that room with the nurses, she found that it wasn't just the ones who had invited her there, that there were other nurses there. And through the course of their conversation, she had the ability to lead three people to Christ over coffee. Three people. And, and Corey Ten Boom's whole countenance changed in that moment. Listen to what she puts. This is the end of the chapter. She said, Thank you, Lord. I prayed as I walked down the long steps for making me walk up all of these steps. And next time, Lord, help Corey Ten Boom listen to her own sermon about, willing, about being willing to go anywhere. You tell me to go even up 10 flights of stairs. See, what Corey learned in that moment, and I think what I take away from that is making disciples is rarely comfortable. Making disciples is not something that is just always going to be easy. And so I think we have to decide as a church, what kind of church are we? Are we a church of comfort that says it's easy for us just to open up, to have some music, to listen to Brian preach or go home? Are we a church that really truly believes that we will dig in into the uncomfortable work of making disciples, of seeing, peop of seeing people learn in Christ? What kind of church are we? And what does it take to turn intent into action and action into completion. So as I sat down with our deacons, we decided first what we should do is we should define, when we say we're going to make a disciple, what does a disciple look like? Like if we're, if we're going to grow people in Christ, what exactly are we trying to grow them in? Let's set some goals. And so we decided to sit down and define what a disciple is. And you guys have probably already heard this a couple times by this point. But here's what we decided a disciple looks like at Ramsey Heights, what a biblical disciple is. On your outline, on, under the ABCs of disciple making, step A is a disciple adores God. See, disciple is such a churchy word. It, it simply means a follower who serves. That's all a disciple is. So how do we take an individual who walks in here, maybe they don't know Christ, maybe they're newly saved, how do we take them and we make them a follower of Christ who serves Christ? Step A of that is we believe that a disciple is someone who adores God. And the reason that is so important is because of motivation. What is your motivation for doing anything that you do? For those of you who don't, don't know, I'm a high school teacher. I, I spend a lot of time with teenagers, and I absolutely love teenagers. I love getting to know them. They're a lot of fun. But I'll be honest with you. The second my paycheck stops, I'm not going back to school. 
And y'all don't sit there and judge me because some of y'all are retired and I don't see y'all going back to work. And, hey, I just thought I'd come work for a couple weeks. Missed y'all. No, nobody's doing that. Like we work when there's motivation. So if we're going to be workers that are going to be disciple makers or, or if we're going to make people disciples, there has to be a motivation for that. So, so what motivates a disciple to disciple? And the truth is the greatest motivator of all is love. See, what we've got to do as a church is we've got to make sure that our primary focus is not teaching people how to be moral. That, that won't even get you into heaven. Why would we spend time teaching people to be moral? All we've got to do is we've got to teach people to adore God, to love Him. Because if you truly love someone, that is your motivation. Adoring God changes you. It changes you from the kind of person that says, I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep God pleased with me. To the kind of person that says, I'm going to do whatever it takes to please my God. Because he's worth it. My God died on a cross, a cross for me. After I insulted him and I walked away from him, he came here to rescue me. I'll do whatever it takes to serve him, to pay that back to him, to love him. And as a church, that needs to be our core motivation for anything we do is we've got to adore God. It's not enough to just do it because I feel like I'm supposed to. We do it out of love and adoration. So the question is, is how do we teach somebody to adore God? How do you teach love? Well, the first thing is we teach why is God worthy of love? And the only way that you teach why God is worthy of love is you have to teach who he is, not what does he desire for you to do. You teach who he is. We teach things like the Bible says, God is love. And we say, I invite you to, to, uh, to get to know him. I invite you to understand how awesome he is. I invite you to, to know his righteousness. I invite you to just give him a chance to show you how worthy he is to be loved. And once you know God, once you really know God, I said this earlier, you get addicted to him. There's nothing greater in the world than knowing God. There's nothing greater in the world than knowing that in Batesville, Arkansas, when I don't feel good on a Tuesday, I can lay in my bed and pray and the God of the universe goes, stop, I'm listening. He doesn't just take that prayer and put it off in the file. Full attention right there. What do you need, Brian? What do you want? Oh, you're worried your daughter's gonna get sick? I hear you. You need comfort? I've got comfort for you. There's nothing like knowing a God who loves us that deeply. And once you meet him, you're like, Wow. And then secondly, to teach adoration, we have to model that in the way that we express to God and about God in public view. Not fake, not, not fake saying I love God, but truly living in a way that says, I love my God. I adore him. See, there's this problem in Christianity that, that it just really breaks my heart. And I see it not, in our church, not just in our church, in all churches. We've lost relation, relationism with God. Church can become a habit. It can become something that we should do or have to do instead of something we do because we have a relationship with God. And if we want other people to believe that the ability to have a relationship with the creator of the universe is real, we have to be able to model that in the way that I live when I say I know who God is and I have a relationship with him and I adore him. And so step A is something we hope to accomplish in our 11 a.m. worship services. And the way that we worship not just mumbling the songs because they're on the screens. Singing to God. Let me tell y'all, let me tell y'all, I'm in a bad mood today. I'm, I'm, I'm off script. 
I'm in a bad mood today. It's been a long week. I haven't felt good. I'm tired. Just in a funk the last few days. Got here. See some smiling faces. I waved. I was happy. And I sat on this front pew. I'm like, I don't want to do this today. I don't want to do this today, God. I'm tired. And we started singing. God, I don't want to sing that song today. I don't even like that song. No offense, Brother Danny. It's just bad mood today. But then, what, what was the second song we sang? Little as much when God is in it. I made a decision in that song. I said, you know what, God? Here, listen. You deserve to be worshipped. I'm just going to do the best I can. Forget everything else. Forget my bad mood. Forget how bad I feel today. God, I'm just going to sing to you. I started really focusing on those words and be like, yes, God, little as much when you are in it. A small church in Batesville, Arkansas. God, you're here. It's a big church when you're here. And suddenly, my whole countenance changed. Like, I can't wait to be here. I love it here. Because, because once, we truly, once we truly worship God in the way that we live, in the way that we study, in the way that we adore Him, it changes who we are moment to moment, but over a lifetime as well. And that's what we want the focus of our primary 11 a.m. worship to be, is to show people that we are a church who adores God, who loves Him with all of our hearts. Step B of this process is a disciple bridges gaps. We wanted strong action words in this, whatever you call it, if it's a motto or a mantra, but this thing that we're going to say all the time that we adore God, bridge gaps, and cultivate the kingdom, we wanted strong words to reflect the strength of what God has commanded us to do when he says, make disciples. And so with this motivation of adoring God, it's going to cause us to want to connect with people who also adore God. You were drawn to people who love what you love. I don't know if I've been to this church half a dozen Sundays in my life that somebody didn't talk about the Razorbacks in the lobby. Why is that? Because we're Hog fans. Most of us are. And so when, when we come in here, it's like, did you see that basketball game last night? Did you see that football game? Did you see us beat Texas last year? You know, like we, we like to talk about that. And we build relationships with people based on what we enjoy. At least that's part of what I enjoy. But yet when we truly adore God... We will start to build relationships with people who adore God as well. This changes us in every way. We will want to be around people who have a mutual passion. And as a matter of fact, that's really what a church is. Is everything else is left outside, but we come together as a group of people who adore God to meet together based on the one thing we care about the most. A close friend of mine, the, my best friend actually, his church supports a church in India, and they're very connected with it. My friend goes over there, or used to go over there, uh, been over there, you know, like every other year type thing, and he had befriend, befriended the pastor there, a guy named Jacob, an, an actual Indian pastor. And Jacob came to visit my friend a while back, and, and they invited me over. I was like, yes, I get to sit down with this pastor from India, and I get to ask him what church is like in India, and I get to talk to him about that. And so we were sitting there, and I, and I was talking to him, I was asking him about church and how it works, and so one question I really had on my mind, I said, I need to know how this works. See, in India, they have something called the caste system. It's a social class system, and it's one that you're born into. If you're at the bottom of the pyramid, you're an untouchable. That's the poor of the poor, and they're called untouchables because you don't even touch them. If you're at the top of the pyramid, you're literally in the, in the Hindu belief system, some kind of a living God. 
And there's all of these different things, and there's no intermingling among castes. If you marry outside of your caste, you go down to whatever they were. You can't get rich enough to go up. You can, you can never be better than you are. It's not like America where you can be born poor and make yourself a high-class elite millionaire. You just are who you are. I said, Jacob, how does that work in the church? I know good and well that in India, in India, you don't have the upper elite sitting next to the people that are the untouchables who are considered dirty by, by society. I said, what do you do with the caste system? And by the way, Jacob is a very high caste, very rich family, everything that you could ever want in life, and he gave it all away to be a pastor. And this is what he said to me. He said, in church, no caste. No social levels. No rich, no poor, no untouchable, no living gods, no nothing. In church, we're all gathered together around our love of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we're all connected from the richest of the rich to the poorest of the poor. And that's what church is. The, the Greek word for church literally means connection. It's ecclesia. And if you translate that literally, it means a called out assembly. Two parts of that, a called out assembly. So imagine, this isn't mine, this is my daughter's, just so you know. Imagine, that's the world. And those different Lego blocks are people in the world. And this is what the church, the word church literally means. What it means is that God come and he got me. And he pulled me out of this and he set me aside. I'm different than this. And then he took you and the person sitting next to you, different though we may be, and he pulled us all out. It means we are called out. But then we're a called out assembly. It's not enough to just be called out. What, what the church is supposed to do is we're supposed to bond and connect to each other. And the next person who comes, and the next person who comes, and they're called out, begin to bond together. And we, and we begin to make something new. We are a called out assembly. And if you are a follower of Christ, what you need is not attendance in a church. You don't need to spend an hour a week listening to some guy talk about the Bible. What you need is to be bonded to other believers. You need connection. But what so many of us want to do, what's so easy to do, what Satan wants us to do, is we know we're called out. But I don't want to assemble. I don't want to bond. And we believe that making disciples means that you come together and you bond together. This is the design of the church. When Jesus called his disciples out, he bonded them together so that when Jesus was gone, guess who was still together? Read the book of Acts. You know how many times it says, and the apostles were together, 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 and the apostles were together. He didn't design us just to meet for an hour in a building. He designed a church to be a place where people bonded to each other, where they were connected and <clears throat> where they were connected to each other for the reason of growth. See, God created you and he created me. And what he knows more than anything is he knows us. He knows what it takes to make us tick. And what God knows about me and you is that we grow in community. We, we grow in connection with other people. Think about it. Everybody in here has had a new job at one time. Did you actually learn anything in orientation? Not a lot. How did you learn what you're doing at your new job? You spent time with the people that work there. 
This is how we do things. This is how we handle that. That's how you fill out this paperwork. The people that you work with taught you. You grew in community. If you look at our schools, we learn in community with our peers. If you think about your hobbies, chances are you will have learned a lot about your hobbies from like-minded friends. And following Christ is the same way. If you want to truly give your heart to Christ and follow him, you need connection with other believers who are going to build you up and allow you to build them up as well. I've said it a million times. You do not need attendance at a church. You need community. You need people who are with you 24-7. And the truth is, is I would rather have a church of community, a church of people that prays together, then studies together, and builds each other up than a thousand people come hear me preach each week. And I mean that. I'm serious. Because coming and hearing me preach does you very, very little good. And so to address this, we're going to have a focus in this church on small groups. And what that basically means is that we want you to bridge gaps with other people. We want you to cross the uncomfortable divide of not knowing someone and build relationships with a small group of people here in this church. We, we want you to, to start to do life with them, to build each other up, to grow in Christ with each other. Now, some of you, I had somebody ask me this a while back. I said, Brian, we always called it Sunday school. Why did you start calling it small groups? Well, there's a difference in what we're trying to accomplish here. Think about school. What'd you do? You went and you sat in your desk. You listened to the teacher teach until the bell rang and then you went home, right? That's not what we want in our small groups. We, we don't want you to show up and sit in a chair and listen to a teacher teach and go home. That's, that's not at all what we're trying to accomplish. What our hope for making disciples is, is that people will come here. They will be involved in a small, intimate group of people that will mentor each other, that will pray for each other, that will lift each other up, that will be your first phone call when the world falls apart. Because if you want to follow Christ, you need other Christ followers in your life. So once we have accomplished adoring God, once we have accomplished bridging gaps, the next step that we believe in a disciple is that a disciple cultivates the kingdom. See, teaching is complete in doing. We can have a church of well-taught, well-connected people, but it means very little if those well-taught, well-connected people don't turn what they know back to the kingdom of God. What the Great Commission tells us is that we are to be at work. It is not a mental game. It is an actionable game. And so a disciple cultivates the kingdom. Cultivate is an agricultural term. You guys probably know that. Cultivate is an agricultural term. And, and I love that because when Jesus talks about making disciples, you know what he uses? He uses agricultural terms. He, he says things like, uh, you know, you plant the seeds and then you water them. And he talks about growing a disciple like growing a seed. And growing the kingdom of God like growing a plant. And we as disciples and as disciple makers, what we want to do is we want to be able to give back to God's kingdom in some way. And how do you, how do, you do that? How do I, Brian, in Batesville, Arkansas, with all of my many mistakes and failures, how am I going to do anything for God's kingdom? And the answer to that for me and for you is one small God-honoring task at a time. And it doesn't even matter what it is. Just one small God-honoring task at a time. And we build God's kingdom that way. I know many of you have your gardens growing right now or dying <laughs> for lack of water right now. I know that you do. But you think about what does it take to grow a garden? You, you, you take the time, you till up the land, you put the plants for the seeds in, and it's not over then. 
It's small task after small task after small task. I need to pull those weeds up. I need to make sure that I prune it. I need to make sure that I harvest off of it. I need to make sure it's watered. One small task after another, after another, after another. And what we want for our church and what we believe a disciple does and what we want to learn how to do as a church is we want to cultivate the kingdom just like you cultivate a garden. We want every person in this church to have a place of service a place where you give back to the kingdom. Which brings us to that problem I said for those little purple pieces of paper. (laughs) Where are you going to work when you tell me you want to work and I have nowhere to put you? And so here is our our tentative plan, is starting probably in January. What we want to do is we will be launching service groups. Service groups will meet one Sunday night a month and they will meet to serve in different capacities. There will be a team of people doing outreach. That's for those of you that are outgoing and bubbly and you just can't wait to share the gospel or figure out how to get kids to come up here to watch a movie or something like that. You'll have an opportunity to join that team. If you're more technically skilled, we know we're going to have a maintenance team, people who are going to invest and cultivate God's kingdom by taking care of this building and hopefully doing service projects for the community at some point in the future. Maybe you have a heart for kids and our Operation Christmas Child ministry. We'll have a team that is going to help prepare that ministry each month and getting ready for the packing party and eventually sending those boxes off. And we're going to have a welcome team that their goal is going to be to make sure that people are uh, people that come here feel welcome and know how to take the next steps up our ladder of the ABCs of discipleship making. We've got a couple other ideals that we're kicking around, but right now, that's what we're looking at. And what we want is to present those to those of us that are in small groups that are are in community and say, go serve. Do what your heart says is your talent and go serve. So we want you to come here and we want you to adore God. We want you to build connections with people that build you up. And then what we want you to do is we want you to take those relationships and those connections and we want you to serve the kingdom of God together. That's what it means to be a disciple. That is our plan. But even, even with that, that plan, whatever we do is not enough. Because at the end of the day, a plan is just a plan. I noticed something, actually I noticed it yesterday when I was doing my sermon one last time. I noticed something about the Great Commission. I've always focused on what am I supposed to do? Make disciples. God, I can do that. We can make disciples. I'll do the best I can. Help me. But I went back and I looked at it today. I realized something about the Great Commission. The Great Commission is bookended with the power of God on either end. It's like God makes the sandwich. He says, hey, the meat is, I want you to go make disciples. But don't forget, don't forget that on the beginning of it, I have the power, I have the authority. And what does he say at the end of it? He says, go make disciples and I am with you always. Listen, this church is not about our plans. It's not about anybody's personality. It's not about church culture. This church is about the living God. And he has given us a promise in his word. He is here. Ramsey Heights is the center of his radar. There's a mega church right now meeting in Little Rock, 7,000 people meeting. They are no more important to God than however many of us are here. He has a plan for us. He has a plan for us to do what he has called us to. And he has an expectation for us to make disciples. And the most exciting part about everything that I can talk about when it comes to making disciples is all we have to do is put our our effort the best way we know how. And the power of God is fully behind it. And this is the focus of our ABCs of disciple making. All we want to do in making disciples is we want to provide opportunities and do everything in our power to get people to that next connection with God. 
You come in here and you don't know Christ. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you how dirty and sinful you were in the way that you hurt him when you turned your back on him in sin. And yet he loved you enough anyway to say, forget it, I will die. I'll take your punishment for me. I love you that dearly that I'll give you that. And all you have to do is just choose to follow me. Put your faith in me. You you come in here and you learn to adore God. I've got something else for you. The next step is I think that you can grow in God by getting connected with somebody who knows him too. You got to sit down and you talk and you ask questions about God and you grow in what it means to be a follower of Christ. And once you've got that down, here, let me help you on the next step of intersecting with God because you will never know God like you do. Like, let me take that back. You will never experience God the same way as you do when you turn around and you start to serve him back. So as a church, this is what we want to do. We want our ultimate goal to bring people, Brother Danny, if you want to come up here, to bring people into this church, for people to come here, to understand that that this is a church centered on Jesus Christ and what he did for us and how broken we are without him. And we want to worship together. This morning, I really don't even know how to give an invitation. I'll be honest with you. But here's what I can tell you. God is with us in this mission. And I believe with all of my heart, this church exists only as long as we pursue the mission. I believe with all my heart, if we don't pursue the mission, we cease to exist. So this morning, I'm just asking you, what's your next step on that mission? Maybe you're looking at this and going, I'm going to have to step up. I'm going to have to put in some work. I'm going to have to make that next step to bridge gaps. I'm going to have to make that next step to cultivate the kingdom. Maybe we're sitting here and you're like me and you constantly get reminded you just got in the habit of going to church and you need to go back to just adoring God. Either way, this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to just tell God and surrender to him and say, God, I'm open for whatever you call me to. I'm open for you to change my life because I adore you. Let's stand and worship together.